Hello, high school hockey fans. Welcome back to This Week in Wisconsin Prep Hockey. I'm Mike Hammond, along with Bill Berg and Bill Berg Jr. Good evening to you guys. It's uh, been a fun week of hockey, and uh, we got a guest tonight. Junior, you want to talk about uh, who we got for a guest? Sure. We've got Wausau West head coach and president, I think, still, of the Wisconsin Hockey Coaches Association, uh, Brian Brandt. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing great. Uh, excited to be make my my annual trek to the uh, to the Zoom call here. That is an annual trek. Um, we're going to get started with something we've talked about several times this year. I don't know if it's something that you coaches in the WIA deal with, but um, it's in the news again after what happened to Adam Johnson over in England, and that's neck protection in hockey. Uh, it's recommended by USA Hockey. Um, but as far as I know, it's not required by USA Hockey, and it's not required by the NFHS. Um, is that something that that the the coaches and the WIA look at independently, or? Um, my guess is that's going to come down from the top. I think as coaches, we're going to handle it individually. You know, like I, there was a news story just done recently where one of one of my players was interviewed, Malik Andrews, and he's chosen to wear a neck guard. And, and I don't think like there's been really no thought about it. It's just some guys have, have suddenly have, I've seen them more in youth hockey than I ever have. Um, I think, I think the, the incident over in England was just so catastrophic that it, it you know, jolted everybody to think like, Hey, we, we maybe need to relook at this. Uh, but I think from the coaches association, we've put nothing, you know, through the, through our groups or haven't even really discussed it. Uh, WIA, I'm sure it's on their radar as something to recommend with, through the NFHS, just like, you know, USA Hockey's come down. With. I mean, because I know that um, ultimately it was the NFHS that made the, the rule changes for checking from behind, but the WIAA was at least part of the push on that. Um, yeah, they were. I mean, I think at that time, Tom was on the NFHS rules committee or the head of the rules committee. So I think that had something to do with with where that push came from. Um, I I don't know the structure of it right now to know that if if LeVar is a part of that group or if there, maybe there's somebody who's been, you know, affected by this that that is on the rules committee. That's a lot of times what can happen. That There's a personal story with some of this and and. I, I, I don't see a mandate coming, but I think if there's another incident here that's catastrophic, I think you'll see some significant changes. And it seems like this, this topic comes up every three or four years when something catastrophic happens and then it kind of goes away until it happens again, because it's not a common occurrence taking a skate to the neck. No. And I think as players, they've become a little bit more aware. I know there was something over maybe in the Swiss league here recent where somebody received a five game suspension for um, kicking um, with the skate plate. So I think, I think people are more aware of it. I think you'll see more stringent, like more strict penalties for something that where you would, you would, um, you know, use the blade in a way not intended. You know, I think. Well, that, I know you've, you've got a mite, I've got a mite. Um, how much time do you spend at might practices telling kids not to lay on the ice or when, you know, we're having our, our might blue league games and, you know, they're sitting on that pad waiting for their shift. Don't lay on the ice. Get sit up. Don't, you can't lay down. You're going to get hurt. Well, and even to the point where they, you know, like they think just banging their heels on the ice is fun because they can do it in their, in their chairs or in their playrooms or whatever. 
But when you do it with the skate, it's got an effect on the ice itself. Well, you know, for them just to think about what's actually on their feet. But yeah, you're right. You can get up off the ice and, and try to avoid any contact with the skate blade that you can. Well, the one thing, one thing I wanted to mention is that the the neck guards, the neck protection has gotten a lot better recently. Uh, you will recall the old neck guards that they used to have, just a little plastic thing that went around. Because mainly they're there to protect from sticks and pucks. You were more likely to get hit in the throat, you know, like cross-checked in the throat, or get hit by a puck than you were to get a skate there. But those neck guards, they 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 moved. They were uncomfortable. I mean, now they've got them built in. It's it's, it's like wearing a turtleneck, just built right into your your base layer because everybody wears a base layer anyway, you know. So now you've got a turtleneck on there, and it it just seems more comfortable. There's not as much padding to protect you from the the stick and the puck, but I mean, there is some on on some of them that I have seen. Yeah, I think the ones I think back to were the big Cooper ones that were you know about you know two inches in height but maybe had about an inch and a half of thickness to it for that purpose alone it was so if you got hit in the neck with a puck or a stick but i think now you know you've seen tj oshi's company come out and become a little bit more relevant with his base layers um the turtleneck has always been you know relevant and, and used by players i think bauer and ccm both have their own versions of it i don't know that those were intended for that neck protection but i think that's become a byproduct of this situation is people are, are now aware of it. I know I've got more guys wearing that, that, you know, turtleneck type um, setup or, or undergarments that, that have that now than before, but I don't know. I didn't ask them if it was because of this situation, but certainly in youth, like I've noticed more kids wearing neck protection at the youth level than I've ever seen before. So it certainly has had an impact. Well, yeah, I was also interviewed on that story, uh, on that news story that was done. I went to the, the we did it at the the DC Everest uh, Greenheck uh, Fieldhouse Rink, or Greenheck Turner Community Center, uh, is the new name. Um, but there was a there was a peewee game going on, and I looked, and out of the two teams, I saw maybe five neck guards. At the peewee level, um, so that's you know, because they've never worn them before. It's hard to get. It's hard to get players to add new equipment. You know, if you, it's easier to get them as their mites. You know, this is this is just part of your hockey gear. Period. You know, and I think that's where you'll see see the change happen, like over time. But that five out of you know thirty players seems to be a pretty consistent percentage. But had you done it, you know, pre this, you might have seen one. Or not? I mean, I think probably done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been enough enough change that it's it's dictated, and, and the reality is it's probably warranted. Um, I, I still think a mandate won't be coming unless something else happens. That's just my personal. Opinion. I talked. I talked to the guys at Goal Line, and they said that basically all the manufacturers sold out. Yeah. Um, shortly after the, the incident happened. Well, I mean, it, it's going to happen in the top end for the players who make it to international tournaments because the IIHF is is mandating it. They haven't set a date yet because all the manufacturers went out. Um, and then, you know, juniors that have gone up to Canada have had to start wearing them because Hockey Canada requires them. 
Uh, but we'll move on from from net guards to uh, this season. Um, uh, a lot of new coaches this year. Um, obviously, president of the coaches association. You're well aware of that. Uh, is this just a, an aberration or um, a lot of retirements? Uh, I mean, we've had some retirements. Um, I think that's that's natural. But you're right. We we've had some turnover as I as we've chased down some emails and gotten emails and and tried to to make sure that the, the high school coaches are informed of you know things through the WIA, things through you guys to make sure that they know how to 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 kind of get up to speed with the process that we've all been using for for these years. I'm not I'm not certain why that we've seen the turnover, um, but it it I think it's good and you know it has positives and negatives to it. I think. You know, one of the one of the things that we as a coaches group need to do better at is the education side of it. I mean, USA hockey, like most of us are, are USA hockey coaches and high school hockey coaches. And USA hockey does a really good job of providing educational opportunities to to you know grow and expand your hockey knowledge. We've partnered with the coaches site as a group um, to give our coaches access to to that. Um, information and educational side of things to grow and expand their hockey knowledge through what those guys offer. So we've done a, a decent job there, but I still think, you know, we don't have an onboarding system for new coaches because I think, you know, a brand new coach has got plenty, plenty to worry about, um, especially if they're coming in with assistants who haven't been a part of it between just the high school side of it, the school side, the academics, um, and then trying to get involved in the association. I think, you know, just for them to, to be a part of it is really, really good. I think it takes you a couple of years to, to get your feet wet and understand what your, your, your system is like, what your routine is like between you know, busing and booster clubs and purchasing and ice time and schedules, like all of those things get better over time. And I think as, as we've gone through and I've gone through this whole process with the coaches association, you're finding more and more coaches um, as they get to your, between year five and 10, where they're ready to like jump in and do some things within the group. Um, speaking of within the group, um, uh, we were talking before recording that the senior class tournament has had our, obviously it didn't have it last year, but a rough couple of years post COVID, and now Neil Matson, the, the head coach of Reedsburg, Wisconsin Dells, and has been for many years, is is taking over the reins on the senior class tournament. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the senior class tournament uh, coming back and going forward? Uh, I, I love it. I, I think, you know, Wapan did such a great job for all those years. Um, and and we, we, we tried to get things going post COVID and, and Neil seems to have a group there. That's really interested in hosting this event. Um, you know, it's set up the, the structure of it's going to be similar to what guys who've been around for five or six years, uh, you know, we'll go back to our division one sections and we'll have tryouts and, and we'll have an 18 tournament down, uh, down in the Dells, March 15th through 17th. And I think it's, it's our job as coaches to push it a little bit to these players because it is such a great experience as someone who got to experience it as a player. I've been able to experience it as a coach. It is a great way for, for high school seniors to get together, compete one last time, you know, in the high school arena and, and just enjoy competing with other people around your section. I mean, for our section here, you know, it's going to be the old section that we have, you know, the loss of West from, from 
you know, East Maryland Point and Anago and Eagle River and Lakeland and, and all of the, you know, basically a combination of the Valley Conference and the GNC, but all these kids know each other. So it's, it, I think it'd be really fun for those guys to get together and play in a tournament together. Um, and Neil's done a great job of, of finding support and, and building, trying to build this event back to what it was, you know, pre-COVID and, and before that. So pretty excited. And I, and I hope all of our coaches and anyone listening to this that has a senior encourage them to, to you know, when the tryout dates and when those things come around, have them sign up, go to the tryouts and, and just enjoy watching your, your high school senior compete with other high school seniors for one weekend. BJ, one of the things that I thought was good about the senior class tournament is now it is more of a centrally located thing, uh, being in Wisconsin Dells. And, uh, you know, getting a hotel room may not be so difficult there in March anymore. Um, well, Pond was, you know, just kind of limited and you just kind of had to there or try to get in and Beaver Dam. But uh, the Dells is set up a little bit more for a tournament. It's just my thought on it. Well, they certainly know how to entertain and host in the Dells. I mean, there's there's plenty of rooms available. And I know Neil will, will make sure that they've got room blocks and those things to make things a little bit easier. Um, but you're right. I mean, Wapan was just limited based on geography and, and the size of the town. But boy, did they do a great job for, for so many years hosting that tournament. And I just hope I hope Neil's group can, can really get this thing going because it's a fun event for the kids. Uh, one of my favorite comments from the, the senior class tournament came from uh, many years back. Uh, Eric Bennell was a player in Anago, and there was a, a kid from Stevens Point. I forget what his name is, but you know, when, when the tournament, you said like these guys all know each other, you know. So you know when when the tournament was over, you know, you know, kind of puts his arm around, says, "Ah, Bowen's good, good tournament." Now we can go back to hating each other, right? <laughs> it's the truth though i mean i i think about like charlie deployed bob mcdonald guys from eagle river that we battled it out against i mean one of the funnest tournaments we had you know luke hasbarg and playing against him and and those guys like that was such a fun tournament to be a part of because i mean we all it, how kids connected totally differently like, we knew who each other were we never really got to play you know on teams against or with each other like as teammates uh, today it's totally different with the way you know spring and fall hockey works. These guys are around each other way more with social media. They they're connected way more than we were. We didn't have any of that stuff, which I'm totally thankful for. Um, but it's it's I think it'd be great to get these guys for that reason alone. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's some certain rivals rivalries that exist yeah. for guys to come out of it, and you know, I think there's probably a newfound respect for each other once you're done with it too. All right. Uh, I guess we'll move on to the the next topic for Coach Brandt. Uh, as the president of the WHCA, um, you spend a lot of time talking to the WIAA. Not a lot of rule changes for hockey this year from the NFHS, just some clarification around faceoff locations and stuff. But uh, has anything um, – a state tournament will be at Cap Ice again this year. That was a, at least a two-year thing. Yeah, I think um... – you know, with, with the state, the, the rule stuff, like there's obviously a new emphasis on, you know, they're always going to talk about checking for behind. They're going to talk about, um, you know, hits to the head. Those are things that, that as coaches, we got to make sure that we're on them about uh, the players, not, not the WIA. Um, 
but I, I just, the WA has done a really nice job of, of including us. And I think that's a huge part of the hockey process because um, I, we're probably not different than any other sport, but we feel like we're a little bit different uh, because not a lot of people in charge at the WI have a ton of experience at the highest levels of our sport and how like the reality of our sport, NHL dictates what happens at every other level and beyond. And they've the, the Lavar's done a great job of including us in, in, in a lot of this process, which which I appreciate. Um, and and I know our other coaches appreciate that we you know are invested in this a little bit. For the state tournament, yeah, it was a two-year contract with Cap Ice. I think um, last year Lavar and and company learned a ton about um, the venue and just. You know, when you go to a new venue, you know there's going to be things that are going to go wrong. There's going to be things that go well, um, but nobody ever really tells you what you do well um, from those events. So I think there was a lot of feedback given that that you'll see some changes that, that hopefully make it a better experience. Uh, we haven't talked details about it, but my guess is there'll be some, you know, maybe some bigger gaps between games to allow, you know, exchange of, of you know, the fans in and out, allow ice to set up to make sure ice conditions are good, um, locker rooms, all those things that that have been there. I personally, and I, and I probably told you guys, and I try to tell everyone I can, I absolutely love the environment that that, that created. Um, it was just fun to watch. And I think having some local teams there with Verona and Oregon certainly added to that, to, to add to the, the high school experience. I really enjoyed having fans on the glass like that. That was fun, fun for me to, to watch the high school kids interact um, and, and just enjoy it. So I think where it goes beyond that, uh, I think that's that's yet to be determined. I think there's a lot of I mean, there seems to be some momentum around the state for adding some new facilities. You know, I met in Wassa here. We talked with the Parks Department about adding a new facility here, two sheet facility with one main game rink you know, and what that would look like. I know in the Dells, they're talking about adding a, a new facility that would house a, a certain number of spectators that's, that's you know, probably close to what Cap Ice gives. Um, there's talk in Eau Claire that there's going to be a new facility there. I mean, it's, I, I feel like there's some good momentum, at least from a conversation perspective about a, a different facility, but it'll be uh, fun to talk with LeVar and just see how things went to see where we go from there and, and obviously allow us some input in, in their decision. Well, if you're taking suggestions, <laughs> I would love to see warm-ups move to the second sheet at Cap Ice, if that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would help the ice a lot um, to get, you know, another 15 minutes of usage for every game off that ice, just to let it set up a little bit more. I don't know that the fans need to really watch warm-ups, so. I like it. Uh, and you yeah, remember, you remember back in the day uh, when the, I believe it was when the Badgers were still at the Energy Center, the the second sheet was used uh, at least on the the championship day for warm-ups, uh, but before the the championship games. Yeah, I think. I mean. With, with Cap Ice, I know what they did on the other sheet over there is they placed some plywood and things over the top of the surface to give the players like basically an indoor warm-up area so that they had so, – so it'll be interesting to see what LeVar says with some of that stuff and, and you know, talking with Cap Ice and uh, the Capitals and allowing us to, to be in there that weekend. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the greatest challenge they'll have is a Wi-Fi, um, cellular service for their you know the GoFan process, and then waiting out <coughs> outside. We were we were blessed with some really good weather, but I can imagine spring in Madison raining and fans not necessarily wanting to stand outside for 30, 40 minutes to to wait for the mm-hmm. next. Finish We've been to plenty of state tournaments over the years where it was either raining or snowing uh, during, you know, entry times. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how how what changes are there. I think that's, I think the fan experience will be the the greatest changes you'll see, you know, with this year's state tournament. Yeah, well, uh, at at this time last or last year, I was really excited about, like you had mentioned, the the prospects. There were two different prospects in Eau Claire. Um, both of them being like a 4,000 seat uh, arena. But um, I talked to Bob Bradovich over there and neither one, no, nothing has happened on either of those in, in this last year. So yeah, I don't know where that is. It's such a, it's such a hard process. I know like we met with an architect here locally um, and, and it's such a fun process to go through. You just hope that you can get, because I think ultimately You'd love to see a public-private partnership on some of this stuff, so so the facility is is used constantly. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how all of these pan out because the Dells one seems to have some momentum. I feel like our one in Wassa has some momentum here, so it'll be interesting to see you know what what takes takes shape here. I mean, we've still got probably three years of you know, having to make decisions on where the, the high school state tournament for boys and girls are hosted. And, and yeah. It's cap ice. Not, not that, not that anybody else really cares, but as far as Wisconsin prep hockey was going, our situation last year, our setup there was like the best we've ever had. I mean, we were located right in the middle. We had access to everything. It was, it was beautiful. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, if that if that arena had another two thousand seats, it, it'd be great, and we could do. But our setup was we couldn't we couldn't have asked for anything more than what we had. Now, on the other hand, we saw some of the struggles that fans were having. <laughs> we did invite several fans up into our booth. Yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, and, and I think that's what's going to have to happen right now because there's talk too when you talk to the Caps, like there's talk of them getting an expansion approval there as well where they would push out uh, where the current video board is and, and get some, get some, you know, additional seating in that direction as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, as long as things keep pushing forward and, and there's positive changes, I mean, I see cap ice because the, the big part is everyone wanted Madison stuff. I mean, I think that's, that's a big part of, of the boys and girls state tournament is going to Madison. And, and we know that, all of the things at Alliant that, that we've talked about in the past. Like I feel like Cap Ice did a really nice job of addressing some of those things. And then obviously some other things come up. So I'd love to, to see where, where we can be three years from now. Um, I don't know that I'll still be president then, but I certainly want to be involved in that process just based on what I've learned so far. And then finally, I, 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 I did hear that there was, you know, you were going to be primary this next year. <laughs> hey, I'm just <laughs> looking for someone else to run against me and I'll step away. 
Well, then you got to do what uh, what burglar does with housework, and it's uh, weaponized incompetence. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want to go there because I feel like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball on some of the stuff already. I was a little delayed on some stuff. So I I, I want to go out doing things the right way. So we've talked about everything except for your team. Um, how's the Valley shaping up this year? Uh, the Valley's, you know, I think it's, it's competitive at the top end. I think, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a line in there right now where, where there'd be some mismatches. Um, I mean, Rapids has been really competitive against Wasa West and Spash. Um, obviously we played Spash last week, lost five to two, was a really good hockey game. Um, you know, the separator there was three power play goals we gave up in the second period um, and getting scored on the very first shift of the game. I mean, those those are momentum things that, you know, our, our group is is we're, we're a lot of sophomores and juniors in the lineup. We've got some seniors that are in some key spots for us. So I think from from the Wasa West perspective, we're, we're getting better. I think that part of it is when you're dealing with with kids, even though they have varsity experience, I don't think that. You know, a sophomore is still a sophomore. You want to make sure that you can find ways to, to keep them successful and, and get some of our juniors and seniors to, to step up. So I think, you know, the Valley is, is I think, in, you know, like I said, there's 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 a, definitely a line there. Uh, but the, the nice thing is, is teams are being super competitive. I think, you know, the coaches have done a good job of developing kids in their youth program. And, and it's always fun to, to get together and play those guys. And it's a group of coaches. We get along really well, which is, which is nice too. Anything else for coach Brandt? You know, you're talking about the competitive level there at, uh, at the uh, Wisconsin Valley conference, BJ. And, you know, as I got to thinking, I've been involved in this stuff in high school hockey for 25 years now. And I remember back in the day when Big Eight Conference was just the same. I mean, you had five, six teams that were really good. It could beat anybody on any night. And, you know, it's a lot of times it's not like that anymore. Um, I don't think the talent base next, you know, stays around as much. I mean, kids got options to go places and do stuff. But, uh, you know, you, you still got the top teams. And those teams are always going to be competitive. Um, just kind of your thought on that. Well, I think, you know, the team Wisconsin model has helped our high school game. I mean, to keep our, our, most of our top end talent in, in our state. I mean, I think we're always, um, we're, we're going to develop a bunch of kids that are going to be great college hockey players and, you know, what that level is. I mean, if you look at our high school programs, we've developed a lot of through Team Wisconsin and now some of these other avenues, we've developed a, a good amount of Division Three, high-end Division Three hockey players, and we're 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 in the hotbed of Division Three hockey right around us, you know. And and it's fun to be able to go to a rink and you know see Max Teckel at Stout and Kellen Theraldson at at St. Mary's and Jacob Evans at Bethel. Um, and through the years, we've had guys at you know other you know UWO player Cade Lammer. I mean, we've got. Just from our program alone, we've got four guys playing Division Three hockey, and there's plenty of other programs like us. So, I think the TW model has allowed us to keep that in there. But, but you're right. I mean, there. I think each conference has has their own issues. Um, I think I think you know 
There's some parity throughout the state this year a little bit, which has been fun to see. Some different, you'll see some different teams uh, probably throughout the year within your top six and how, how things are voted on. So I think it'll be it'll be fun to watch that. But the, the TW model has allowed our guys to stay in state and, and compete for their local high schools, which has been really fun to watch. Well, right yeah, now, know, these top sixes across the board are heavily weighted to Highway 29 in North. Yeah, it'll be. <laughs> I think you'll see. I think I would love to hear from you guys. Like when you have your top six, how many coaches vote? And and if it's and if it's a light number, how can how can we as a coach association help you out? Well, the some weeks it's a light number, and other weeks it's a big number. You know, like um, if I was to send out a reminder every week, the amount of coaches that vote every week would probably double. But on the other hand, I also don't think I should have to, if that makes sense. Um, maybe one at the start of the season is not enough. But So, like, last week we had really, really good participation. This week is probably about half of what it was last week. It didn't affect the rankings that much. Uh, the same teams are pretty much there. The order changes a bit. But um, what I think as coaches, we do our homework, too. I mean, I think, you know, regardless, you know, I'm a Division One team. But we're looking at all the scores all the time, you know, because, you know, you, you never know if you're going to get to the state tournament. And as a coach, you get a vote in Division One and Division Two. So, like, it's really important that as coaches, we continue to do our homework and educate ourselves about kids throughout the state. Because that goes into all state. Well, it starts with all conference voting, know the best players in your conference. And then as you travel outside of your conference, you get to know the players throughout the state so that, when we honor all state kids, you know, you've seen a bunch of them play. And I will, I will say when it comes to like the top six voting, since you asked specifically the coaches that most vote, the coaches that vote most consistently are generally coaches that are teams that appear in or around the top six. They're not necessarily all top six. They're in fact, they're not all top six teams, but they will have been some point in the last five, six years or, you know, they're maybe they're like 12th, which is the difference between 12th and 6th. I mean, when you look at a 12 can be to six easy. Um, so, you know, the but the teams at the, the bottom uh, that are struggling are generally the ones that aren't voting because and I can see why they're probably they probably don't see much in it for them. Yeah, I mean, I think we run into that throughout you know, any group that you're involved with a little bit, but I can tell you, I personally appreciated the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I like about the, what, what well, not necessarily the top six, I, I'm really a fan of the two divisions. Um, I think that the, 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 the two divisions has helped some of the smaller schools in terms of, you know, getting their community more excited about hockey. Um, I mean, you look at some of the like Amory and New Richmond and Somerset and River Falls and those, I mean, those, those teams are, I mean, they're, they're playing, they're competing and, and beating, you know, division one teams. And they, I mean, we're talking a small town like Amory where they've got 30 kids on their roster. They got a full varsity and a JV and they're, they're able to, and I think a lot of they're able to to compete and keep kids interested because 
mean, there's now a state tournament for them. I mean, Amory really had no route to the state tournament before. Or the problem I would think is like Hayward. Hayward, you know, they had they had no route to the state tournament. I mean, they were they were either Superior or Eau Claire. I mean, they weren't going to go. Um, yeah. And you know, now now they have a chance, and that that helps them build interest in their program, and you know, all the all the way up. I I agree. I think the two division model has helped. Um, I think it's it's it certainly helped the bottom thirty two enrollment groups, so the division two teams. I think it's helped them a ton. Uh, I think on the division one side, I think where you get the most complaints is, you know, the equity and in, in the ability to get to the state tournament. So I think, you know, as a coaches group, we're always looking for ways to improve that. You know, in the past, we've been presented with a 4-4-4 model. So you get 12 teams to the state tournament, you get three divisions. We've been, we, you know, I think if everyone had a, a, a crystal ball, we'd love to see an eight and a four, you know, and I think. I think that is there. There is an ability to do that, but I think we have to work with the WA and the girls side of things because I think that's where the greatest limiter is. The WA loves have having the boys and the girls in the same weekend. Um, you look at other places; they don't do the boys and girls state tournament on the same weekend, and you know that's something that's yes, you know, we could certainly discuss and and look at. But I know from the from the boys side, we'd love to get to an eight and four. Um, I think everybody would want an eight and four. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think there's anybody um, that would disagree with it. It's just making sure that the, the things that the WIA need for those state tournaments um, exist before they'll say yes to it. Yeah. I mean, like the, the current four and four model, the, the four divisions in division one are actually bigger in terms of raw number of teams than the, the, the eight teams were back when it was just eight and zero. Um, that's that's not great uh, for the teams that are that are Division One, and you know I think the problem with splitting up the boys and girls is that if if the WIAA and the girls coaches want the girls championship game to be televised right now, I think it has to be with the boys um, because I don't think I forget the name of the company that owns WKOW WAOW uh, something media. Um, I don't think that they they would broadcast the girls' state championship game um, without without the boys sandwiching it on either side. Um, a couple of years ago, I asked the WIA just offhand what the winter sports participation numbers across the various different sports, and obviously basketball is way up at the top of the list, and, um, and then there's like wrestling and 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 boys hockey, and I think swimming and diving were like right around the same number and girls hockey was much, much smaller. And it's, it's a, it's a tough sell if they want that, that game to be televised on actual TV, not just streaming um, to, to split it up to its own weekend. Yeah. And that's been the the biggest part where we, like we as a boys group would never want to take that opportunity away from the girls. And if splitting our tournaments does that, we wouldn't want to do that at all because, you know, I think all of us understand the importance of having that state championship on the statewide network. I think it's the exposure for the girls game is, is huge. You know, selfishly, I've got three daughters. I want them to have the same opportunities that the boys have in terms of exposure for the, for that. And one of the things we, we, we mentioned and just talked off, off the cuff a little bit about was, you know, is 
is having it on the statewide network what we need? You know, with I, I think about how I view you know services and everything. Everything's right here, right? You you can watch it on your iPad, you can watch it on your phone. Is that is that a change that we make to allow us some more freedom in in how we schedule it and how things are done? You know, obviously that's a partnership of in tons of planning that would have to go into it, but it's just things that we you know you know throw at the board and see see if there's any uh, stickiness to it to see if we can get any momentum with it. I think just the way people view things now is totally different than they did you know five years ago, ten years. Ago. Uh, even even now that that. That statewide statewide network, I think, is down to four TV stations. Is it not? I mean, it used to be like six or eight. Yeah, I think I, I don't know the details on it, but I do know like when Hudson was in the state finals, they wouldn't get the statewide network in Hudson. They would get the Minnesota version of their state. And so, so it's interesting how that just the details of it are are totally. Yeah. Broad, 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 yeah, broadcast TV is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Well, don't be saying that too loud. Brad Hansen, the news director at WAOW's daughter, is on my team. <laughs> well, I mean, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of people to watch it. You know, I think it's. I think it's really fun to watch how the how people's usage of things changes over the years and, and how we try to navigate through what we knew as as people growing up versus what actually will get watched by the next generation. I mean, when a commercial comes on on the radio, you know, my, my kids like that go to a new station. You know, and it's like because they're so used to skip ad or like the ability to to live life a la carte, as I say. Like I forgot, I canceled satellite radio in my car. I basically forgot that terrestrial radio even existed. By the time that I canceled it, I'm like, what radio station? I don't. Nobody listens to those anymore. Yeah, just different how people view things. It's so. So I hope. You know, we can we can start to meander some of those things and, and look through that process as the you know the the, the next phase of, of coaches comes into our, our group and and gives us some ideas on how ways to, to make our sport better. Do you as as high school coaches get any like insight like uh, last year Spooner left the Northwest Iceman and was just Spooner again? Um is that just something that kind of happens for most of the coaches around the state? Like, hey, look, we got an extra team, or do you kind of see those things coming? No, I, I mean, I, as a as a board, we don't necessarily see those things coming. You know, we hear about them kind of after the fact, which is great because you know when when you listen to coaches talk, like John Mowerman did, you know, years ago. This was, I think, two years ago when we honored him. That's all he talked about was if you want to grow this game, you have to grow your youth programs. And it starts with with that. And that's how you expand this number. And and I think, you know, coaches that are going to be in this for a long time, truly that want to invest in it in their community and in a you know, a small community like Spooner, like that's where it starts. You got to start with your kindergartners and and just know that you're gonna to have to do some work and it and we live in an instant gratification world. So that's not an instant gratification thing. You get, you get 10 kindergartners that play hockey in a small community and you follow that up with 10 the next year and 10 the next year. 
Well, now you've got some momentum and you can see that as, as they go on. So I think as an association, we don't hear about it much until, until it's done, but it is, it's fun to see when, when clubs split up and, and new teams come on board. Cause I still live in the old times a little bit where, you know, the Pete Susans of the world would say, we got to get to 96. Once we get to 96 teams, then eight and four is a true um, option. So the sooner we can get to that number, I think we've got some momentum. Yeah. I mean, like I, I can see it in, in Everest youth hockey. Um, I think the numbers really jumped back in 2018 when Everest made state. Um Everest has 30 peewees this year, uh, probably 35, 36 squirts, and 70-something uh, 8U mites, not including the learn to skate groups. But our bantams are still a co-op. You know, we And Everest has fielded a varsity team for however many years now. Um, and, our, and even then, our bantams are a co-op. Um, but we have huge numbers at the lower levels. And you know, you get that one group come through and all of a sudden everybody else just kind of follows behind them. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy how that momentum happens. You know, just one little event happens and, and I think all of us are going to see the post, you know, the the, the post-COVID group. So you're probably talking the, the four and five-year-olds that were that age, 20 in 2020, 2021, 2022. But then you also see the post-COVID jump where people are like, yep, let's get back into things. And you know, it's been it's been fun to watch. I hope I hope that um, you know it continues to grow because it will certainly pay off down the road for high school hockey. You know, BJ, I've always thought that a, a high school team's fortunes can change with one really good class that comes through. You get class, you get you get a class of kids that are respected and uh, liked. And all of a sudden, it, you know, it can have a trickle-down effect. All of a sudden, these little kids who look up to these kids say, hey, you know what? I want to play hockey like, you know, B.J. Brandt did, you know. And That was always a, a question, uh, something that people from Anago, players from Anago, never realized until they got to be adults. Um, you know, our whole youth career, Wausau would beat the crap out of us. And then in high school, it would be competitive. And it's not because all of a sudden Anago got better. It's because in high school, well, you need three good seniors. You need three good juniors, a couple good sophomores, and maybe a freshman or two. There's only so much ice out there. And you got four grades to fill it with. Um, so once you get to high school, I mean, yes, the, the skill level is higher, but the the gap, I think, between teams can, can shrink um, just because you have, you know, a good class or two come through. And, that, and that's, I think, it, you know, as someone who's in the high school all the time, you know, that that whole concept of having a good class. I mean, having one really strong class changes a building. It, it's 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 really fun when you get a good group that's, you know, respectful and respected and, and hardworking and leaders. Like, it's crazy how awesome a building changes. It's crazy how it affects the groups behind them because that's what they got to see for, you know, two, three years in leadership roles. So I think just that same, that same thing, MJ, you get one good class and it can change, it can change a program for sure. Well, I think we've taken up 
enough of Coach Brandt's time. He's only been on here for an hour. So we'll let him go and move on with the rest of our business. It's his bedtime. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy being here, as, I, as I've told you, because of the chaos that, that just seems to <laughs> follow me at home between the kids and the dogs. But I, I always appreciate our time, guys, and I, I look forward to seeing you at the rink. I'll see you, you know, there tomorrow, and, and I'm, I'm sure at other rinks in the future. So thanks, thanks for what you guys do for our, our high school hockey group. Thanks for sharing Thanks, time with BJ. us. Thanks, guys. All right. BJ Brandt. Our uh, Wisconsin Hockey Coaches Association president, correct? Correct. Until right. something runs against him. We got we to gotta start a scandal about him. <laughs> He's been president for quite a while. He, uh, you know, he must be doing I, a good. I love having him on because you know you can always you get good thoughts out of him and you can always uh, you know you can always run a little bit long on time like we always do when it comes to talking to him because you know his insight is so much heavier than a lot of people's are. I guess you could say. I think Pete Susan's trained him well. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. He taught him the little things. All right. Uh, well, let's get started with the rest of the show, fellas. Our games of the week. Burglar, you got to see Hudson and Wisconsin Valley Union, and I got to see Middleton and Edgewood. And I'm going to tell you about Middleton and Edgewood first. This is a game where Middleton comes in number one in the state. And, I mean, Edgewood comes in number one in the state, excuse me. And, uh, you know, it, it was just kind of one of those games where um, you can tell it's an early season game. I mean, guys are, you know, the hands aren't quite there and, you know, some of the, you know, positioning isn't quite there. And it just, you know, and, and a lot of it comes with repetition. Well, I saw a lot of that in this game uh, on both sides. But uh, in the first period, Madison Edgewood uh, got a power play goal from Ben Block in Colby Thompson and Owen Barnett were assist on that goal to make it one nothing. And you guys, this carried on all the way into the third period. Second period, uh, uh, Middleton had a five on three power play for over a minute and couldn't couldn't score. And then in the third period, it was an empty netter from Madison Edgewood that uh, sealed the game by uh, Matt Richter, but. Guys, you, you can see how things things changed last year. Middleton had Brady Engelkiss, and Brady Engelkiss now playing here in Janesville for the Jets. And, you know, he's, he's one of the best forwards in the state. And I'll tell you, watching him, Middleton really misses that type of player in their lineup. But um, they played hard. Middleton did have some chances. Then they made a big push at the end of the game. But um, Edgewood goes out and gets a 2 nothing win. And uh, – you know, they get to retain that number one spot, I go, I would bet. We'll see. That's right. Somewhere along the way in this show, you will find out. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Burglar, you got to see Hudson. Lady Raiders taking on the Wisconsin Valley Union. I did. Um, Brett and I went down there and... 
we while we couldn't pass up a chance to see Hudson, uh, you know, it's a three-hour drive to to see Hudson at their home rink. So they were coming close enough that uh, we went down there to catch the game, and uh, it was. It was a long bus ride for them as well. Uh, I think maybe little bus bus legs had something to do with it, but they got off to a a slow start. Uh, it was a scoreless first period, but uh, Wisconsin Valley Union outshot uh, Hudson fifteen to four in that first period. Uh, but then Hudson rallied, uh, got their legs back. The, the shots ended up even on the game, so. They, they did turn things around. Uh, the Union scored first. Uh, they had a nice, they had a, a, a three on two. And um, Jenna Jones, uh, she's, 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 I think, the lead playmaker on, on that team. Uh, she's a captain. And she got the puck in the left circle, kind of turned to the side and positioned herself for a nice hard shot. But instead, she threw a hard pass. Uh, to Lily Cheeky, who was parked at the back door, and, and she put it in um, to to give the, the Wisconsin Valley Union a one nothing lead. Um, Raiders did score late in the period. Uh, got the puck to the net, and uh, freshman goaltender uh, Izzy Wojcik, um she made a couple of saves, but she couldn't corral the puck, and eventually it got poked uh, underneath her and into the back of the net. Um, Wojcik was a she's a freshman; uh, she's pretty quick. Um, but the one thing I have to say is she doesn't really fill the net, um, if you know what I mean. And when she drops down into the butterfly, there's like gaps all around because she she she's not very big. Um, but she did a nice job. Uh, you know, that one she just couldn't crowd the puck and you know they got it, they got it in. Otherwise, most of the, both teams have been playing good defense. They had very really limited opportunities in front of the net. Um, but but that one they did get the puck in and eventually got it past her. And then the 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 winning goal came in the third period, uh, with what three and a half minutes to play. Uh Brooklyn Monikin. Uh she tried for a wraparound. Uh, but Wojcik stopped her. Uh, Monica got the puck back and looked up and saw uh, Cahoon. Uh, that was uh, Juliana Cahoon. She scored the first goal. And she was alone in the slot, and, and Monica passed the puck to her, and she buried it. Uh, that was the photo on the, the front cover on the, on the site. Um, but it, it was it was a good game, very evenly matched. Um Jenna, what did I say her name? Jenna Jones, uh, like I said, she was a playmaker on, on that team. And they got a freshman uh, freshman defenseman on the Wisconsin Valley Union, number 17, Campbell Spees. Yeah, she's she. you're going to hear her name um, in the next few years. Uh, she doesn't mind taking the puck end-to-end, and she's got, she's got real good skills. Just a freshman now, but she's gonna do well. On the on the Hudson side, um, I think their two best players were their 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 defensive pillars on number 10 and 14, Cameron Robson and Avery Martin. Um they did a nice job keeping the, the net clean in front of uh goaltender Sophie Thompson. I'm I'm not sure 
where Katerina, what's her name? Yeah, Donna. Yeah, she wasn't there. Um, they only had the one goaltender suited up. Um, I, I probably should have asked the coach, but I was fairly lazy and didn't do that. But she wasn't playing, but uh, Sophie Thompson played, stopped 25 and 26 shots. So she, she did her job. Um, so they, they should be in good shape. But it was a very good game. It was fun to watch. And, of course, the two dogs riding the Zamboni. <laughs> um, let's move on to our best Western Premier Hotel Players of the Week. Burglar, you get to talk about that. And speaking of goalies. I'll take them. I, what's that? I just left Burglar on the notes from last week. I'll do the Player of the Week. Okay. Um, speaking of goalies, uh, the forwards and defensemen in this state had a hard time scoring against these two. Yes, they did. Our boys, uh, best Western Premier Park Hotel Player of the Week is uh, Rowan White, Mr. Bean, uh, goalie for Madison Edgewood. Mr. Bean is Rowan Atkinson. Uh, Tuesday, he stopped all 21 shots in a 2 to nothing win over Middleton, including a 5-on-3 power play. On Thursday, he stopped all 17 shots in a 2 to nothing win over McFarland. So he stopped 38 of 38 on the week. Good for a 100% save percentage. Ignore my notes there. And the girls' best Western Premier Park Hotel Player of the Week is Jillian Traver of the Rock County Fury. On Tuesday, she stopped 33 of 34 in a 2-1 win over Cap City. On Thursday, she stopped 22 of 23 in a 5-1 win over Beaver Dam. And on Saturday, she stopped 45 of 47 in a 3-2 win over the Lakeshore Lightning. So that's good for 100 of 104 for a 961 save percentage on the week. So a couple of tough goalie performances this week for our players. If I remember correctly, Rowan White also played, uh, Edgewood played on uh, Saturday. I want to say they played, uh, oh, who was it? Baraboo Portage, I believe it was. But uh, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know if he, Playing net, but I know that Edge would beat him like six nothing. So if he played in that, that'd be three straight shutouts. That'd be, you know, that'd be Tommy Moe's like, you know. A Lawson Kinsman played in that one. Okay. Well, he had the night off then. But nonetheless, uh, Rowan White of Edgewood and Jillian Traver of uh, Rock County are best Western Premier players of the week. And guys, uh, I'll tell you what, these goalies, these forwards are. Maybe a little bit of early season, uh, not quite there yet, but obviously we see some of these goalies are uh, come out and shoot pretty good so far this year. Well, oh, I mean, one thing I have to add, uh, anybody from uh, Edgewood or the, the Rowan White family, uh, send us a picture. The roster for Madison Edgewood does not have a picture for Rowan White. So on our front cover where it has the the, the picture of the – Player of the week is just going to be a gray silhouette until somebody sends us a picture. Okay. Top sixes. Um, who would like to cover top sixes? Uh, it's me. I know. Like, so you, this is this is your wheelhouse right here. Yes. Um, starting with Division Two, very little movement this week. Amory, New Richmond, Oregon are still one, two, three. Lakeland is still four. River Falls jumps up into the fifth spot. They were not in the list last week. And McFarland is sixth. Also receiving votes this week were St. Mary's Springs and Somerset. 
Uh, for the girls, Superior is still number one. Uh, St. Croix Valley Fusion and Central Wisconsin swap spots. Uh, the Storm are third this week. The Fusion are second. Hudson is still fourth. Bay Area is still fifth. And the uh, Chippewa Falls Menominee Sabres uh, took over the sixth spot. They were not in the list last week. Uh, also receiving votes were Hayward University School and the Warbirds. And then in Division One, Edgewood is still number one. Brookfield moved up to number two. Bayport dropped down to number three. Spash is still fourth. Chippewa Falls is still fifth. Hudson moved into the sixth spot. They were not ranked last week. And also receiving votes for Division One are Eau Claire Memorial, Notre Dame Academy, and Superior. So of those 18 teams, uh, 13 of them are on or north of Highway 29. Spash is awfully close. Are we drawing a line in the sand when it comes to teams this year? I don't know. What, it, it, it's not always like that. There's lots of times we have a large southern contingent of top six teams across the board. Right now, it's really just uh, D1. Well, I think that, you know, some of the teams that are, you know, usually in this top six, you know, at the end of this levels, maybe some of these teams haven't quite shown up yet, but we all know how this can change in a hurry. So, uh, I'm sure Verona will make their appearance known. And uh, Middleton, I mean, number one team in the state, and it was a two to one game with an or two to nothing game with an empty netter. I'm sure Middleton will be appearing at some point in the future. Uh, at least, maybe not in the top six, but they'll at least get some votes. Okay. That was weird last week when I added them all up, and there was just a northern team after northern team after northern team. Okay. All right, our upcoming games of the week. What do we got yeah, here, guys? Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to see three of the three of our uh, teams from the various top sixes: uh, Chippewa Falls and Wausau West tomorrow night. Uh, Chippewa Falls, they're they're in there. They're number five in Division One, and then on the girls' side on Thursday, Central Wisconsin and Bay Area are both top six teams. So. And that's a pair of perennial top six teams, Bay Area and Central Wisconsin. Seems like those two girls teams always uh, jockeying for position there on the girls' uh, top six. And there was a couple down years there for Bay Area. Um, the years that the, the Fox City Stars were really, really good and won back-to-back -back titles. Um, but they jumped right back into it. Okay. Um, we will have more on those games Um on the site. So everybody make sure you check that out because uh burglar is a very interesting photographer. He takes pictures of some pretty cool things. Well, and you'll have to read it on the site cause we won't have a podcast next week. What with Christmas and all. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, all right, guys, uh, we got our final thoughts. Um, things we want to get off our chest. Uh, something that's, uh, in your mind, uh, Junior, you got anything? I don't know. After talking to Coach Brandt for an hour, I don't know that I have anything left in my head. Okay. Bill Sr.? No, I'm good. You know, I well, just so happens I do. Um, this past weekend here in, here in town here, um, as everybody knows, I work with the Janesville Jets doing their uh, webcast. And... Uh, from time to time, you see guys come through 
who, uh, you know, played some Wisconsin hockey as players. And now all of a sudden I'm starting to see some come through as coaches. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw Charlie Grasscamp come through. But one of the one of my favorite kids who played Wisconsin hockey here was uh, Griff Jeska out of the Milwaukee area. He played for uh, Milwaukee Marquette. And uh, he was an assistant coach for Kenai River. And it's, you know, it's like two old friends seeing each other. You know, we hadn't seen each other years. And uh, I saw this summer he got got the job as assistant coach. And he comes in and he dresses the part, no doubt about it. He looks uh, pretty sharp in those suits. But, you know, it's it's good to see a kid who played high school, played college, who went on and played at the pro levels. And now he said at age 28, it was just it was just time. Um, he knew his body and it was just time to uh, get out of it and move on. And he decided to get into coaching. So it was good to see him. It's good to see the fellow uh, guys who come through um, early on in high school and you get to watch them, see them give back to the game. And uh, Griff Jessica was one of those kids that I always liked to see. And uh, he was respected among his, amongst his uh, peers as players. And, uh, you know, I know the TW coaching staff liked him. So, um, it was good to see Griff Jessica. Um, guys, he's offered to come on. I offered him to come on, okay? Um, come on our uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, he's coaching up there in Alaska. And he may have some interesting things to say about, you know, salmon fishing and stuff. But also uh, find out what uh, a hockey coach is like being an assistant coach for a junior team. So I just thought that was kind of interesting to see somebody that you hadn't seen in a while who had success at the level here in Wisconsin and uh, taking it to new levels. And there's no argument out of you guys about it. Okay. Nope. It's, uh, I, I, I love seeing, uh, well, especially, I mean, play, players that I coached before, players that I worked with before, uh, it makes makes you feel old a little bit sometimes you know when they're they're coming back and they've got kids and they're and they're coaching and stuff but still it, it's good to see them staying involved in the game and you know thinking that maybe you had a little part to play in that of you know their development or whatever over the years yeah I believe uh Jessica was a player of the year finalist in senior year I believe he lost out to uh Senator Thomas Aiken from the senator <laughs> they called him from whitefish bay nicholas shorewood um who played that was at, mako's guy yeah who played at harvard um also you know went and played in college but yeah jessica they i believe they were runners up his junior year with uh the famous joe Lorado, uh captaining that team uh jessica's junior year and then he was a player of the year finalist his senior year and then there comes the Joe Lorado. You don't leave him alone in the slot because every single time he's going to kill you. defensive player. call you have to make. Is he on the ice? Yes. Don't let him go there. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, well, I think that's about all we got for this week. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more in two weeks since next week is Christmas Day and we're all going to be opening presents and eating food and all that fun stuff. So, guys... Uh, Two weeks. Well, Bill's going to be in South Dakota, so. Okay. You know, I don't even. I don't. I don't even think they have AOL in South Dakota. I think he's going to have to log in through CompuServe. To take up drinking. 
Well, guys, it's, um, you know, it's kind of a, I want to say it's kind of getting near the halfway point of the season already. So uh, you guys uh, have a wonderful holiday and uh, everybody else out there, hope you have a wonderful holiday as well. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be out there covering some games and, you know, we'll keep oh, yeah, we'll we'll be at well at least Dell and I will be at some uh holiday tournaments. I know Dell's gonna make it to the final uh the final day of uh our tournament in Eau Claire. Um I usually go over for that one, but Dell's gonna do it this year. And I think I'm gonna try to catch uh uh four team tournament. Uh, there'll be two games in, in Antigo and then uh, head over to Green Bay to catch uh, one day of their, their showdown in Titletown. And then hopefully in Appleton uh, for the champ, the, the final round of the tournament they have at that Community First Center there. I forget what that one's called, but uh, it's on our site. I think I think Dell was saying something about Culver's Cup. Yes, he's doing... He's doing uh, yeah, the the final day of our tournament, the 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 girls Culver's Cup down there. Okay, all right, you guys ready to put a bow on it and go? Yes, sir. All righty, for the Berg clan up there, and uh, Del Scanlon, who's uh, got the week off. I'm Mike Hammett. Happy holidays from this week in Wisconsin prep hockey.